Welcome to a very special holiday-themed episode of the Milkweed Arcade Podcast. I'm Barney. And I'm Biggs. We're, uh, we're doing something different here. Something very different for the holiday season. We're not talking about a, a movie or a game or a show from the 80s. We're talking about a book. A very special book. A book full of Christmas wishes. Why? There's no H in that word. Why did I say it like that? It sounds more whimsical. A literal wish book. The Sears wish book. The Christmas catalog. This is going to be a fun, festive episode. I'm going to find some royalty-free, uh, public-domain Christmas music to play. <laughs> oh, it's not going to be any Christmas music you recognize. It's going, to, it's going to be like back when I was waiting tables at Bennigan's and we weren't legally allowed to sing Happy Birthday to people when it was their birthday, so we had to sing... The special Bennigan's birthday song. It sounded you like you got the idea. It was somebody's birthday, but it wasn't happy birthday. <laughs> That's the music you're hearing right now. That's the equivalent. So the Sears catalog, uh, known as the Wish Book, would appear in our mailbox every year. And we would spend however many weeks leading up to Christmas just pouring over. And there was nothing like this experience. Uh, I, re- I, I read a great tweet the other day. It was something like, I'm still chasing the high of a scholastic book fair. <laughs> that amazing feeling and like the book sale at school, like the Christmas wish book was right up there with that. The elation you felt when this thing got showed up in the mail and your mom or dad handed you this giant book. There's nothing like it. We would obviously focus on the toys and the video games and stuff, but we would we would flip the whole thing front to back because it was just part of the experience. It was also a testament to the fact that we had very little to do and very little to read and watch at that time. So that was pretty much the extent of our entertainment. So we're going to talk about, let's talk about the history, the long, proud history of the Sears catalog. So it dates back all the way to 1888, but they sent out their first Christmas catalog in 1937. We are going to start our exploration of the wish book at... The time we really became aware of it in the early 80s, and I've flipped through the first few books of the 80s, and the stuff that really we were really into started showing up in like 83. So that's where we're going to start. It's just too much to cover all of the 80s from 83. So we're going to do the odd years on this episode. We're going to do 83, 85, 87, and 89. We'll do the evens next year. Before we start, though... um, a thank you for uh, to whoever is responsible for putting together wishbookweb.com. It is this amazing archive, this labor of love. I don't know how they did this. This archive of Christmas catalogs, not just Sears. There's like um, Montgomery Ward and JCPenney, but this amazing collection of Christmas catalogs, starting with the first Sears book from 1937. And uh, it's a really cool project that we kind of couldn't have done this episode without another site. Searsarchives.com has a fascinating chronology of the catalog. Like we said, it started back in 1888 and the first Christmas edition was sent out in 37. The wish book branding was added to the catalog in 1968. So the Sears cat, the regular, the big book catalog was canceled in, in 1993 and they went on to specialty-only catalogs, like the Wish Book, and I think some of their like tool lines had specific catalogs. Uh, but they ended that in 2011 because, after all, it was 2011, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> nobody needed a big paper book of anything anymore. Although, 
my kids got a huge kick out of the one Amazon just sent out. Mine too. I'm telling you, we've talked about this. There is something to be said for the curation, for the tactile nature of a printed catalog. There is something there. And I think it's really neat that Amazon has sort of rediscovered it or re-rediscovered it. Amazing. It's so weird. An online store sending out a paper catalog, but it totally worked. My kids and I went through the whole thing. Uh, They picked out stuff they want for Christmas. Really wild. So we took a look through the books that we picked for this episode. I actually took a look through the very first one from 37, and it is hilarious. The toys are so, like, beyond genderized. Like, for the boys, it's like, here you go, Billy. Here's a Tommy gun and a locomotive. (laughs) The girls' toys are like a broom and an ironing board. <laughs> like there's there's one page that has a boy looking at a toy like with you know with his eyes all aglow playing with this toy and there's a girl a little girl looking over his shoulder as he plays with the toy that she doesn't get to play like it's just preparing the girls for like chores. <laughs> it's like have fun boys. Girls, <laughs> this is going to prepare you for the drudgery of your life to come. It's crazy. <laughs> so the catalogs we looked at for this episode there's always the first thing in the beginning of the catalog, there's always this gift section, right? This random gift section, uh, gifts under hundred dollars, under $75, things like Christmas stuff, like nativity sets, uh, pocket knives, metal detectors, mini vacuums and, and telescopes. It's clearly like the, I don't know or like this person enough to know what they actually want. So let's look at the gift section. <laughs> It was also the section, that's where I would pick out when I got to a certain age, the gifts from my parents. You know, when I got old enough and I was like, I want to get mommy and daddy something. So I would bring the catalog to my mom and point out some awful like lamp and be like, here, mommy, this is what I'm getting you for Christmas. So she would have to buy the stupid thing. And I'd be like, wrap it up. Don't look at it till Christmas. (laughs) Boy, a lot of guns. Did you notice that? In all the, there's a lot of guns. In these catalog, could you just send away for a gun in a catalog back in the 80s? Was that a thing? (laughs) This is America. You can get a gun anywhere. All right. So let's start with 1983. So 1983, such a simpler time. And what's amazing is each one of these issues is sort of a time capsule that commemorates this really amazing time in, in American history. There is such a hilarious assortment of general store products kind of in that gift section and things like that. All this bizarre fashion and just so much crap, just so <laughs> much stuff that nobody ever needed. So some things never change, but there were some incredibly wonderful toys in there and some aspirational items. A couple of things that really, really caught my attention. First of all was the Jabba the Hut action figure. Yes. And that one, right? That was amazing. Um, and I picked that because we actually got it. Maybe for this Christmas or the Christmas before, but we had this toy and it was a big, chunky action figure that had like a rubberized coating. It was kind of soft. I remember you kind of push your fingernail into it. It was beautifully sculpted. And then it had, he was on his little litter or whatever you call it. He was on his little throne and he had the little, um, whatever he was drinking, the little straw, the metallic straw in his mouth. And it was just incredibly detailed. What a wonderful toy. That thing was durable as all heck. It lasted, I think, you know, the entire time. Like that would always be something you'd find at the bottom of the toy chest. It was like a weird, like hookah connected to like a a tank full of frogs or something. It was, it was very weird. And Jedi return of the Jedi had come out that year. That was 83. So yeah, all right, we must have gotten it that very year. And then what was the what's the little guy who kept cracking up? Uh that would be Salacious Crumb. 
the little monkey guy with the crumb. beak. Yes. <laughs> he came with an <laughs> awful so little there yeah. too. What a neat little throw-in. Yep. So what a wonderful product. And I actually thought it would be fun to look at some of the pricing on this. So um, this was $11.99 for that whole thing. Wow. Now, there's been inflation, so it probably would be a lot higher now, but pretty cool, right? That was a heck of a lot of toy for that. That is, uh, fun fact, that is $25,000 in 2020 dollars. <laughs> Give or it. take. Give or it. take. No, I know that was clearly a lot more money back in 83, but that seems inexpensive for this big set with everything you got, like you said. I um, also had to point out that there was... A really strange artifact, again, something from definitely from another time, belt buckles that spelled somebody's name, right? <laughs> I just thought this was worth thinking yes. about. And of course, the one they have, you know, nicely displayed in the image is John, you know, pretty common name. And then they, you can actually pick a number of different boys' names on these belt buckles. And it was just fascinating to see the kinds of names available. Billy, Bobby, Brian, Chris, Danny, David, Greg, Jason, Jeff, Jimmy, Joey, John, Kevin, Mark, Matt, Mike, Pat, Paul, Phil, Randy, Scott, Sean, Steve, Tommy, Tony, and that's all she wrote. I mean, just a crazy time. Then that, you know, that was like, well, those are those are American names. That that should cover everybody. We were all set. Do either of your children know anyone, any of their peers named Steve or Brian or David? <laughs> It's incredible, right? All of those kind of classical names are totally out yeah. of favor. And it's just, it is such a different time. And I know to some extent there are, the names come in waves and people often look back decades ago and find those and bring them back. But it's just such, again, such a neat little time capsule to see what the common names were in that cohort. One of the first things that really caught my eye in the 83 book was this page full of watches. And there were a bunch that were had built-in arcade games on them. I mean, like terrible watch versions of the arcade games, but like Qbert and, you know, Frogger. There's a Pac-Man watch. But there was, there was one I noticed that is something I do not remember being a thing. And I'm pretty sure this is the only book it appears in. And that is an FM radio watch. Mm. It's a watch that you plug headphones into. And they're the, the old-fashioned Walkman headphones with like the foam earpieces. This is not a technology that took off. I know we're not covering it for this episode, but I did. I just had to peek at the 84 wish book immediately after this and the 82 wish book immediately before it. There are no uh, radio watches anywhere else. So this was a weird blip on the 80s tech radar. A one hit wonder. One piece of tech I was super surprised to see in the 83 book was a CD player. I would have put that at much later in the 80s, but it turns out they came out in 82. They were first commercially available, I think, in 82. And uh, this page with the CD player is so funny. It's so such a new foreign technology that there is an actual size photo of a CD on the page <laughs> to show people what they looked like because people didn't know what a CD was. And uh, there's a whole page explaining exactly what it is and explaining how you know, late, there's a diagram showing how a laser works. Fascinating, this brand new technology. And I would have put it, I mean, I know, again, in 83, this was a ton of money. But the, the CD player they have here in the Sears catalog in 83 was five eighty nine ninety nine, A ton of money, a crazy amount of money in 83, but somehow I would have expected it to be even more expensive. Yeah, I, it's funny. I read about them a little bit in preparation because when we get to 89, we're going to see this incredible proliferation of boom boxes and stereo systems. And I looked into this because I was like, when did CDs come out? Apparently they really got popular in 1982 was sort of their official launch right in this year. Um, but it wasn't until 1988 
that CDs sales eclipsed vinyl record sales and then they didn't overtake cassettes until 91 wow so right it was a very long rampant i mean we think of them as ubiquitous for a long time they were kind of but they took like i mean really almost a decade to sort of really dominate the market another one that really caught my attention in this year was a game called the Turnin' Turbo game. And we had this exact game, I think, and there were things like it. It was a little plastic, maybe, you know, a foot and a half or two feet across, and it had a little tiny plastic steering wheel and a little gear shift, and then a tiny little screen. Now, mind you, this was not an electronic screen. This did not have any pixels or nothing like that, but it, it was actually, I think, just like a paper projection, you know, with light, like a, a simple light behind it, like a, like a light bulb behind it. And when you turn the steering wheel, there was a little mechanism a gear that just made the car kind of swish to the left or swish to the right i mean it was rudimentary but so much fun and it made fun sounds it kind of made the engine noises and i swear we played with this you know me and my brothers played with this for hours it was just kind of a fun thing to do before we really could do something quite like this on a video game by tomi yes the uh yeah the toys in this we get some great stuff we get a nice big two-page gi joe spread Mm. and i recognize a lot of the toys i had those But there's one thing in this catalog that apparently was available specifically just at Sears. It was a Sears-exclusive Cobra Command Center. Now, I had the G.I. Joe headquarters. It was this big, amazing toy. It had a garage with a lift that lifted up the Jeep and stuff. But this Cobra uh, Command Center, it was was cardboard. It literally looks like, in the picture, it literally looks like you just folded it together, tab A into slot B. Uh, I found some on eBay, and they all look like garbage now like li- like literally garbage like trash just like <laughs> cardboard garbage for 11.99 yeah wow on the next page we get some really good sort of fantasy stuff we get masters of the universe with all the figures you'd expect we got he-man and skeletor when i see Kristar, and yeah Kristar from remco which we talked about at length on our toys of the 80s episode the whole Kristar, the crystal warrior line is there as well as manglore and Mangalore Mountain. Love it. This was a weird toy. There was a rubbery monster guy action figure, and you could rip him apart, right? I don't know what he was made of. You could rip him apart and then stick him back together and submerge him in the mountain, which was full of slime. Slime was a big thing in the 80s, but this was a weird, a different kind of like slimy goop that was in this mountain. And he would be repaired, kind of. Kind of, right? He would stick back together, yeah. Mostly. He would stick back together better than you would have expected. Yes. And then there's a toy line from 83 that disappe- you know, disappeared because it was garbage. But I really liked it. It's called The Other World by Arco. And there was a big set. They released just one thing, a big Castle Zando set, which came with this junky plastic castle. <laughs> and the figures were all those bendable guys. Like the rubber guys with the wires inside, you know, there were all those bendable toys back Mm. then. And inevitably, after a short time, the sharp, awful wires would just poke through the toys (laughs) and just stab your fingers while you're playing with them. That was a feature that was part of the fun, part of the entertainment. Oh, yeah, that was part of the fun. (laughs) There were two creatures in this line that I really liked. One was like a weird, like, triceratops bird thing. But the other one was this dragon, this two-headed dragon, this orange and yellow... Uh, two-headed bendy dragon. Do you remember? Look at the if, look in the picture. Do you remember this thing? We used to play with this all the time. I do. I totally do. This is so cool. This weird random dragon became a huge staple in our action figure adventures because you'd mix and match. You'd have Tron fighting a dragon with GI Joe and he like it was. <laughs> and this dragon, whatever it was about him, this junky playset gave us this toy that we absolutely loved. 
And of course we have video games. Now, our uh, Christmas experience in the 80s, there are two periods I feel like, right? There's before Nintendo and after Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Because up until the Christmas of 86, when we got Nintendo, we were huge into toys, action figures. We had video games, Atari and stuff like that. And we, and we really enjoyed them, but they didn't replace toys. It was when we got Nintendo that things changed. And from then on, that's all we wanted was video game stuff. But there was still a lot of really cool in this pre-Nintendo era. There's some great video game stuff in this book. And you can tell it's sort of the end. You know, 83 is when the video game market crashed. The bottom fell out. And you can tell we're getting there. The Atari 2600, the big most popular system of the day, was already was marked down at this point to 60 bucks. It launched back in 77 at, I want to say, like $200. Hmm. And then we have the... A, a video game system that I is near and dear to my heart, and that's the Vectrex, which was so different than anything else on the market at the time for a couple reasons. Number one, it was entirely self-contained. It was this all-in-one thing that was kind of like the old, the original Macintosh with the screen built in. Absolutely. It has that same kind of beautifully designed, all-encompassing vibe. I love it. Another thing that set apart was the Vector graphics. It had a CRT mo- vector monitor built in, which... You know, if you're unfamiliar, vector graphics are the lines, right? A, a raster graphics is like a, a grid of pixels, which most video games are made of. But this was, you would see it in the arcade in like um, Battlezone or the original Star Wars game. This was the only home machine that did vector graphics. It had a black and white screen and each game, each cartridge came with an overlay that you put over the screen while you played to give it some color. The controller was attached. It had a built-in game. It had a built-in really awesome Asteroids clone. I absolutely love this machine. It was absolutely beautiful. It was lustworthy. It was, at that point, kind of out of my range. But I remember you had one, and we talked about it. The graphics were just so crisp and clean and sharp that they really felt otherworldly to us. Now, 1985, one of the greatest years of all time, if not the greatest year of all time, was particularly special because this was a cover that I remember to this day, right? I went through this cover to cover multiple times. And I remember marking it up and dog gearing all the pages I wanted, circling stuff, putting notes. Yeah. Interestingly though, this time I found it a little bit underwhelming. There was no Nintendo yet, right? So 85, you know, it's amazing. It was a really interesting time in video games. Because if you look through, I actually kind of searched through it a couple times using the search function. And there was almost no mention of video games at all this year. So this, thinking back, this was in the wake of the video game crash of 1983. So it was sort of dead, right? It was just sort of waiting to be revived by our friends from Nintendo, which for us didn't come out until 1986. Yeah, this was... This was an important year. It it was the final year before Nintendo changed everything. And this was, I feel like, the height of a lot of the toys that we loved back then. If you look at stuff like Transformers, we had some amazing stuff. The Dinobots, right? My favorite being a, a big dinosaur nerd when I was a kid. Devastator, the Constructicons, it all fit together. The two... Uh, Blaster and Soundwave, the two like tape player guys with all their little tape robots, which were amazing. Jetfire. Uh, again, the Transformers just at the, the absolute peak, the height of their game for sure. One of the toys that I came across that was kind of a trip down memory lane were these things called Sectars. And they are fascinating 
action figure type toys. They were kind of insect like and they were puppets. So you put your hand into this bug looking thing and your fingers became its legs and it had big kind of translucent wings and then the action figure rode on top of it. And they were they were really kind of fun. We had a number of these. I thought they were really awesome. They did not do well at all, partially because even like the good guys, they're all really off-putting looking. They have big, creepy insectoid eyes and like antennas. Yes. Um, so real creepy, weird looking figures. I thought they were they were really cool. We had Voltron, of course. GoBots, which sadly, uh, you know, GoBots beat Transformers to market, right? So they were our first transforming robot toys. And when we first got them, they were like, oh, my God, GoBots are amazing. (laughs) And then Transformers came out like weeks later. And we were like, oh, my God, GoBots are trash. (laughs) Poor GoBots. They're still still going strong in 85. G.I. Joe had some amazing stuff. This was the year uh, in the catalog they had one of the biggest toys ever, the flag, the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. And it was it was scale size with the guys and the planes. So this thing was like six feet long. And I'll never forget, you and I, a few years ago at Comic-Con, uh, drunk on Bud L- overpriced convention Bud Lights, <laughs> we went, there was like a toy dealer, and they had a, a, a USS flag in the box for, I forget, it was some, it was insanely expensive. And I was looking at it, and, and you literally pulled me away from the booth. <laughs> I was looking at it, you're like, nope, come on, your we gotta go. killed me. I don't want your wife to divorce you today. You come home with a on my watch thousand dollar six foot oh aircraft God. carrier. But that was like the crown jewel of eighties toys. That was amazing. He Man was still going strong. Star Wars. What's wild about Star Wars stuff is in eighty five there was some great stuff. You know the the Rancor monster. Which I love that toy. Job of the Hut. It was amazing. But we still had much like eighty three, Return of the Jedi toys because back then like Star Wars was done. We got all the Star Wars we were going to get in 83. It's like, well, Star Wars was over. That was great. <laughs> and they're still like, that's the most recent toys they were selling was from the last movie. Little did we know there would be the crazy amount of Star Wars stuff that we have today. And a toy line that debuted this year, along with the show, that again, another thing we, we discussed in our Toys of the 80s episode was Mask. Mm, yes. These little action figures with their transforming vehicles. And I remember the robots, right? This was kind of the robot craze. Rocky Four had come out and we saw his really sophisticated robot saying happy birthday, Polly, <laughs> and serving them drinks. And they had these Omnibot robots and other things like it. And I just, we never got them, but I lusted for them. And it was like, wow, we're in the future. You know, it was called the Omnibot 2000. The year 2000 seemed like, you know, that was it. We yes. were going to have the Jetsons and flying cars and here we go and then the one thing that i did get technology wise that year was a calculator watch which i'm not exactly sure when they first debuted but they were definitely in full effect here in multiple colors and they were eight dollars and 99 cents one thing i remembered from this catalog seeing it was the little transformer watch it wasn't transformer brand but the little watch that uh transformed into a little robot toy that you could take off the band i forget what did you have that one it was somebody we knew had, I had that. this oh, yes i totally so had cool. this i can remember this Next, we have 1987, and this is a cool book because this is post-Nintendo. This is our first book we're looking at here that's after Nintendo. This would have been our second Nintendo Christmas, and we're seeing the sort of peak of that and the decline, the last days of, of the toy lines that we used to love. One of the things that caught my attention very early on was... 
a screwdriver flashlight combination. So kind of a light up screwdriver so you could see what you were doing. And while this kind of stuff had been around for a long time, it really strikes me as the beginning of the gadget craze phase. Hmm. And this is just a classic example. And it really brought to mind sharper image and the sharper image story. And of course, the sharper image sort of defined cool and tech in the late 80s, um, but I read a little bit about it, and it was originally founded in 1977, initially to sell jogging watches, apparently. So it was a catalog business, and it steadily grew to its peak in the late 80s as this iconic American brand. Apparently, it had 187 retail stores in 38 states at its peak. The founder, Richard Thalheimer, said, quote, at the Consumer Electronics Show, everyone would gravitate towards the big guys. Sony, Panasonic, he says. I'd go straight for the little booths, the people selling things nobody had ever heard of, unquote. And I think that approach has really indelibly marked me. To this day, I love to seek out and I kind of relish finding those hidden gems, clever concepts, novelties, stuff you never knew existed. I love that kind of stuff. And I think Sharper Image really got me started. Another gadget that gets a big spread in here is a... um. There's a police scanner, a Uniden police scanner page. And I love it because it says, here's excitement. Uniden scanners let you monitor police, fire, and weather bans, plus much more. It's like, give somebody the gift of hearing all the awful things going on in their neighborhood. Hear like about robberies, domestic abuse, <laughs> and fires. Nothing says Merry Christmas like... <laughs> the- <laughs> to me, one of the most hilarious pages was a few pages of VHS tapes. This is a snapshot of the 80s. And my favorite one is is prominently featured in a call-out box. That is, quote, how to catch bass. <laughs> Guys, this is what we did before YouTube. You could buy a tape <laughs> about fishing. Can you imagine how sad it is you have a collection of these tapes? And of course, not a year went by that we didn't ask for a bow and arrow. We mentioned that these catalogs have an awful lot of weapons. It's true Americana, but they had these incredible hunting bow and arrows that we just lusted for. Uh, unfortunately, like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, we were admonished that we'd shoot, in this case, each other's eyes out. Like we said, this was sort of the the tail end of a lot of the toys that we loved. This is the last gasp of Transformers. This was during the Headmasters phase. I don't know if you remember this. There were um, Transformers Headmasters where you had the robot that transformed into something, and then you had a tiny robot that transformed into that robot's head. Mm, I don't remember this It was, yeah. (laughs) Maybe there's a reason why I don't remember it. Like I said, it was sort of the tail end of things for the old Transformers. Well, that's a perfect segue because there it was on page 273, the Nintendo Entertainment System, featuring a kid with a light gun playing Duck Hunt and Rob, the robotic operating buddy, off to the side. This would mark an entirely new phase of our existence. I mean, it's amazing. We got it the Christmas before. So the the NES was available in a very limited market in 1985, but it wasn't until 86, the Christmas that we got it, that it was available nationwide. And speaking of Nintendo, the next book we're looking at, 1989, gave us another Nintendo Christmas, thanks to the Game Boy. It was kind of amazing, because this was sort of the beginning of the end of the original Nintendo Entertainment System, and the games were starting to get a little bit stale, although there were still a lot of gems of very high quality, and, and no doubt that was the first time I had ever seen developers be able to get more and more, squeezed more out of a system even as the years went on, you know, typically you kind of needed to go to more powerful hardware, but they got better and better and better. However, the Game Boy really 
represented the new generation, the next big thing. And the Sega Genesis was released this year as well. Although we were still a full year away from Super Nintendo. That was not to come for another Christmas or two. And I didn't end up getting my Genesis until nearly a year after this Christmas, buying it off a friend in high school who didn't care for it. And this year too, yeah, the the, the NES spread was huge. We got a couple of funny accessories. We got the power pad. Mm. I mean, the, the mat you put on the ground, you run on. We saw that at the very first Nintendo World Championships that we went to together, <laughs> which was incredible. Uh, and the U-Force, which was hilarious. I mean, there was the power glove, and but this was like an extra level of silliness beyond the power glove. This was the tagline, and it says in the catalog, the controller is you. <laughs> and the commercials made it seem like you could punch and play punch out and fight Mike Tyson just by punching. And it was just nonsense. I really enjoyed looking at the remote control or RC stuff. It was always a fascination of mine. They had cars and boats and even RC planes. I always dreamed of having a remote control plane. But these things were crazy. They were gas powered back then. And they seemed like so much work to maintain. You needed licensing. You needed lots of space to to fly these things, which, you know, in the suburbs, we really didn't have that much space, maybe more than some of the city kids who, who didn't have much at all. But we really didn't. And then looking at some of the boom boxes and stereo systems, these were heavily featured and were starting to catch our attention as, as young lads, you know, we were, we were hitting to adolescence at this point and it was kind of neat to look at these. And I remember so clearly when you got that first compact stereo system in your bedroom yep. and I was completely mystified. It was the first CD player I had ever seen, even though as we discussed, they had launched originally in 1982, but this was the first time I seen it. So this must've been right around this time, 89 or 90 that you got this. It was for, yes, it was exactly that. It was for eighth grade graduation. I got a stereo. I want to say it was Casio was the brand. I remember I got it at Kmart. They had the showroom at Kmart. <laughs> I picked it out. Uh, that I got it along with the Batman soundtrack was my first CD. Oh my gosh. I love it. And it's, it's I guess that's why it's wild. I was so surprised to see CDs back in 83 when uh, it took so long from, for them to catch on. And what's funny is they're, they're like, that's where it stopped. It's really true. I mean, in this bizarre kind of pushback to vinyl, this renaissance of actual vinyl yeah. records, which is kind of charming in a way, but I think physical media is mostly dead. I think it's all pretty much digital from here on out. Yes, for sure. But in terms of music sales, like physical music sales, I recently read that 2020, this was the first year that albums, vinyl albums have outsold CDs since the 80s. So... <laughs> That's awesome. Here we are. Hashtag 2020. Yep. Uh, we're buying records and, and getting paper catalogs in the mail. 2020 is so bad that we're just going back. We're going back to the 80s. <laughs> the electric anticipation of receiving the Sears wish book still resonates nearly 40 years later. Scouring page by page for every little golden nugget of Christmas wishes was a ritual that spanned the week's maybe even the months leading up to December 25th, and arguably was more enjoyable than the day itself when the cold, hard realization that next Christmas was 364 days away set in. Each year was a chance to explore and to learn. Each catalog held surprise and delight. And while the internet has taken away a lot of that joy, the spirit remains here at McQuaid Arcade. And on that note, stay limber. <laughs> 